Hello, and welcome to Engage with Eagle Forum, a podcast to encourage the modern day woman and her vital role in shaping society. I'm one of your hosts, Kirsten Hassler, and I'm the executive director of Eagle Forum. Today, I'm joined by my friend and colleague, our political director, Tabitha Walter. Hi, everyone. I'm happy to introduce our guest today, Glenna Marshall. Glenna is a pastor's wife and mother of two energetic sons and the author of Everyday Faithfulness. Glenna writes regularly at glennamarshall.com on biblical literacy, suffering, and the faithfulness of God. Thank you so much for joining us today, Glenna. Well, thanks for having me. It's an honor to be here. So let's start things off with a little background. How did you become a blogger and an author, and what inspired you to do so? Yeah, well, I have written since I could hold a pencil, really. My parents gave me a journal when I was seven for Easter one year. I have a distinct memory. It's one of my earliest memories. And I thought, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to anybody because I can write down anything that's in my head. And I had read in a book, you can hide your diary in between your mattresses and no Mm -hmm. one will find it. So um, (laughs) I journaled from a really young age. I still do. I probably have 40 or 50 journals stacked in a closet somewhere. And um, I went to college, actually not sure what I was going to do with my life, dabbled in a bunch of different majors and eventually settled on an English degree with an emphasis in creative writing, thinking if I did anything with it, I would have to teach, but I didn't want to teach. And so Mm -hmm. I had one of the, I graduated with one of those degrees that I really didn't think I was going to use. I loved my classes so much. I loved being challenged to write. Um, but it wasn't until after I graduated, I got married, my husband and I moved to Missouri for him to pursue a full-time pastoral position at our church. Um, we had just found out prior, like the week before we moved, uh, we were coming from Tennessee. Um, we found out that we weren't going to be able to have children right before Mm -hmm. that move. And I was absolutely devastated and, um, blogging was something that had sort of just come into popularity at that point. This would have been about 2005. So I got in on blogging a little bit early. I did it anonymously and um, I wrote on infertility for about a decade and really just did that as a way to process my life and my struggles. And then as we walked through the adoption process the first time and Uh, we walked through a second adoption process that was uh, pretty hard and also overlapped with some really difficult personal suffering. I was dealing with a chronic autoimmune disease. We were going through a hard time at our church and all of the overlapping trials, um, I had to kind of step away from anything public online. And um, I just wrote for myself for a little while. And then when that stuff ended, um, I started blogging a little bit more publicly with my name and I don't know what happened from there, but the Lord just kind of directed my path to make my blog more available to more readers. Um, People with big platforms who were very generous shared it a lot, and I got connected with a bunch of writers and ended up joining a writing network of kind of aspiring authors and learned what a book proposal was and decided (laughs) to... um, start chipping away at some book ideas. And I wrote my first book, The Promises is Presence, Why God is Always Enough, which has a a pretty good memoir feel to it, um, but also traces the promise of God's presence with his people from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. So it's kind of a biblical theology of God's presence with also a lot of personal story in it. And um, 
I loved doing it. And so before I even finished that book, I had signed another contract to write Everyday Faithfulness. And um, so I love writing so much and I hope there are more books down the road, but it's been uh, kind of fun to reflect that, you know, all the way back when I was a kid and wrote my first journal that the Lord was going to have a path for me to do it for a living, so to speak. Yeah. I, I'm just curious, um, what w was your thought process in originally going anonymous, anonymously when you wrote your writings? Yeah, when I first started blogging, um, I don't know, I didn't know, I didn't want to be found necessarily. Um, and I was writing on such a delicate topic because mm -hmm. with infertility, you're talking a lot about, you know, body parts that don't work and, you know, um, trying to have a child is such a personal thing too. And so um, I didn't want to be so public. And then back then when I first did that, um, social media was not a thing. And so you could write a blog and be pretty anonymous with it. Mm -hmm. And that kind of appealed to me. There were um, like blogging networks you could join and you could follow other writers who are writing on very similar topics and you really didn't even know anyone's first name. Um, and so I, I didn't know anyone in my regular day-to-day -day life who couldn't have children. And so the appeal of networking with people who were going through something similar and us just all kind of having this one thing in common, um, mm -hmm. it was really comforting at a time where I, you know, I didn't have anyone else really to turn to, to talk about such a sensitive topic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so cool though, that you were able to create some sort of healing through that for yourself. Yeah, it really did help me. I mean, I, I always say this to people, if I'm not writing, I'm not really processing my life very well. And so doing that, even to some public extent, um, was helpful for me because it helped me think about what was going on in my life and try to think, a, think about it from really a biblical lens, um, from a logical lens, not just purely emotional all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you're a little bit more, I wouldn't say open about some of the yeah. struggles that you've had now. And you say actually in the about section of your website, I'll go ahead and read it here. It's taken more than a decade for me to understand just how desperate I am to know Christ and how much I need him in every facet of my life. God has used some long, dark roads to teach me to turn to, turn to him in every circumstance, whether it's the dark nights of the soul that challenge every layer of my faith or the patches of joy that break through periods of waiting and longing with such brightness, I can only attribute it to the faithful love of God. And your most recent book is entitled Everyday Faithfulness. So obviously you have made it a priority in your life to walk with Christ every single day. What does that look like? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I have to start off by saying that the Lord has really outlined for us what faithfulness looks like for the believer. Like, what does it look like to walk with Jesus every day? Mm -hmm. um, one of my favorite passages in all of the New Testament is Hebrews 10. Um, really the first half of that chapter, the author of Hebrews is talking about, actually he's reached a pinnacle of this big argument he's been, ma been making for nine chapters about how Jesus is better than the old covenant, than the old sacrificial system. Everything in the Old Testament that God laid out for his people was just a big giant arrow pointing to Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so then he gets to chapter 10 and, and the second half of that chapter says, you know, so in light of everything that Jesus has done for us at the cross and paying for our sins and giving us access to God the Father, this is what you do with that information. And so he gives us exhortation to draw near to God, to hold fast to our confession of hope 
and to not neglect meeting together with the body of Christ. And so if you sort of were to distill what daily faithfulness looks like, I think you could boil it down to regular communion with God through prayer and reading your reading your bible regularly saturating your life with the word of the lord because that is the way that he has revealed himself to us is through his word if you want to know him you have to read the word there's just no other way and then also um meeting with your local church uh i know that looks a little different these days in the days of covid but however you can engage with your church for accountability, for encouragement, for someone to help bear your burdens, and then to provide those things for the rest of the body of Christ. So I think that regular engagement with those three things is what helps us walk faithfully with Jesus if we are engaged heart, soul, mind, and strength. I mean, you can certainly do those things. Read your Bible, pretend to pray, go to church, and just kind of be there without your heart being fully engaged. And so, um, but if you are doing those things, in obedience to God, not to be loved by him, but because you know you already are loved by him as a response to the gospel, not to be saved, but because you already are saved. And I think those are the things God is pleased to use to help us maintain not only faithfulness, but also spiritual growth as we walk in faithfulness to Jesus every day. So for me personally, that means like the alarm going off in the morning, rolling out of bed, heading straight to the coffee pot, first things first, <laughs> and um, sitting down with my Bible and praying and reading the word. And then my life as not just a pastor's wife, but as a Christian and a church member, you know, building my life around the ministry of our church as well, attendance, and then also serving in different capacities. Um, whether that's serving one, you know, the body of Christ um, within the church or serving our community through our church uh, with the hope of the gospel. And so um, rather than fitting those things in when I can, I, I really believe that daily faithfulness looks like building your life around those things because Jesus died to make those things possible for us. And so as a response of gratitude and obedience and just acknowledgement that I cannot be faithful apart from Christ. I cannot do it. And so that's what it looks like in my life day to day. It's so good. I, so if the first thing you do is get a cup of coffee, do you get extra bonus points for having a scripture on your mug? Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> um, depends on who you're talking to. Probably not with Jesus. <laughs> but, um, um, I don't even know if I have a coffee mug with the scripture verse on it. So uh. <laughs> you better get you one. <laughs> So, <laughs> so Kristen and I are both moms of toddlers and as you know toddlers are very hard and trying and they test your faith and your power and they they really know how to to get under your skin even though they're wonderful children you just have the ups and the downs and um, I mean I'm going through potty training right now so oh, so sorry <laughs> it's so hard but um, you know, this weaves into what you're saying. It, it's hard to have those times um, every day to to really dig into our faith and our relationship with God. How did you do it? How did you maintain and foster your spiritual life mm -hmm. when you're in this phase? And what encouragement do you have for other moms? Yeah, so my kids are now 12 and 5. So I have one who's just kind of come out of that phase not too long ago. And, and he's, you know, he's little still. So he 
regularly, I don't want to say interrupts, but interrupts. <laughs> and so, um, so I get that. And those years were, you know, of having babies and little kids, it's just not that far off in my memory. And I can be honest and say when my oldest was in those years, I was not faithful in Bible reading. I was not faithful in prayer. Um, those were not priorities in my life. And I was the pastor's wife at the time. And, mm. and um, just to be honest, I felt like um, I don't have time. I always had a reason. I always had an excuse. I was tired. He didn't sleep or I had laundry to do, or, you know, really I was probably just watching Netflix or something while he was napping. But, you know, um, I had very immature faith at the time too. And I would meet with, I write about this in everyday faithfulness, but I would meet with a friend from church for accountability every week. And every week I would say, I hadn't opened my Bible and, you know, months would go by, a year would go by. And I just kept putting off those um, kind of means of grace or habits of grace that, you know, Jesus gave me as he gave, has given every believer, I would just put those off for a time when life was less busy or I was more inspired. And the problem is that like those days just don't ever come. Like mm -hmm. if you're not parenting toddlers, you're parenting kids who have homework at night or, you know, just there's always another season right after the one that you're in, that's going to be hard or busy or whatever it is. Um, and so it actually, wasn't until a few late, few years later when my husband and I watched through just, I mean, a really, really long season of suffering. Um, for me, it was very personal because I was battling chronic illness and was very mm -hmm. sick and in constant, constant pain. And I kind of got to the point where I didn't know where else to go for any kind of comfort. And so I just started opening my Bible out of desperation and the Lord really cultivated the habit then um, from that season. And I came out of that long, almost 10 year period, uh, really devoted to the scriptures because I knew how much I needed the word of the Lord and prayer to just get through days of really debilitating pain. And so, um, so now I have, you know, I'm, it's a part of my daily habit, but I mean, I then parented another child through those toddler years. And this time, Bible reading was a regular part of my life. So I kind of butted up against that very thing you're talking about. What do I do when like my kids are just constantly needy for my attention? And mm -hmm. yeah, I know that I need the Lord to sustain me through this day. And so, um, you know, you're so tired with little kids. <laughs> They're just so demanding. They need everything at once all the time. You know, it's not just, I need a drink of water in an hour. I need it right now in your face. <laughs> so, um, you know, I've really, I've read about this in everyday faithfulness, but I think it's so good for us to re reflect on the fact that Jesus knew what it was to be needed. He, he couldn't go anywhere without crowds of people just, mm -hmm. I mean, encircling him all the time for healing, for teaching, and everybody wanted something from him. And um, yet he considered he who was equal with God, who was God in the flesh, would slip away to pray to the Father just for restoration. Before he would even sleep, you know, he would go and pray. And I thought, I, you know, reflected on those passages and would think, okay, if Jesus the son of God needed to pray, how much more do I? And so I think sometimes during those little years, your daily spiritual disciplines might look a little different. I mean, I frequently read my Bible with like Paw Patrol going on in the background, you know, and I don't have a problem with that. If I need to turn on the TV on a low setting while I read a few verses and pray for a few minutes, that, you know, that's a tool that I am happy to use. Um, 
I have set down my Bible at times and picked up our big picture storybook Bible and pulled a kid in my lap and said, okay, why don't you read with me this morning? Um, we, I have really enjoyed in the last few years using audio apps for listening to the Bible, which is a whole different experience. And mm -hmm. I would say if you're in the little years where you are maybe, um, maybe if you have an infant, like you're doing, you know, you're in a rocking chair a lot or something like that, like audio Bible is such a good tool for soaking in the scripture in a different way. Um, and I would also say that scripture memorization is a great tool to utilize when you don't have a lot of time because you can kind of zero in on a verse or maybe a small paragraph and just focus on that for weeks at a time, you know, put it on index cards, put it on your lock screen on your phone, tape it to your mirror, anywhere that you are somewhere regularly at the sink, washing dishes, something like that. And as you are memorizing you are meditating on scripture and it is getting into your heart more than if you're just maybe skimming over a verse of the day or something mm -hmm. like that. And so I think you can, when you're in those seasons where life's really demanding, you zero in on what you can do. Um, it doesn't need to be an hour a day. Like it doesn't have to be that. Nobody set that standard for you. And when you have children who need you, that's maybe not realistic. And so I always tell people, if you don't have spiritual discipline habits of reading the word and prayer, and you really feel compelled to do that, and you know that you need that time with the Lord, don't try to go from a zero to a 10. If you were to put yourself on a scale, like if you're a zero, try to be a one or a two for a while. Like, don't say, I'm going to get up tomorrow and read my Bible for an hour and a half and pray for an hour. You're just going to crash and burn because that's not a part of your daily life. And so that's just not feasible. Try to get up in the morning and read the scripture for five minutes. You know, I, I read the book of Galatians this morning and it took me about 10 minutes, you know, just like read through something short and, and pray while you take a shower, you know, something mm -hmm. like that. And so um, start small. And when those things become parts of your day, like habits, um, you can build on that. But also know that if you're interrupted by kids, like, the Lord sees, he knows, he understands, he entrusted those kids to you. And so invite your kids into your study, maybe put it aside and just pray over them. You know, I woke up every morning as a child early and was always the first kid up and always stumbled in on my mom reading her Bible growing up. And I'm almost 40 and that still has just a lasting impact on my life mm -hmm. of what she valued and treasured. So your kids are watching you. Yeah. So one of the things that I like to incorporate, and I'm glad you talked about incorporating your kids into your mm -hmm. everyday worship or prayer. And so my, my son goes to daycare three days a week and it's about um, a 10 minute drive. And, but I use that time to pray mm -hmm. with him and over him. And um, he, he can't form senses yet, but now every time I say, are you ready to pray? He'll just start, he'll, you know, gibberish. <laughs> and, and I'm like, I, you know, it's, it's one of those, like, now he makes a joyful noise unto the oh, Lord. And, I love that. Yeah. So even at the youngest age, your kids are watching and, and, and I love that memory of yours with your mom. Like that's so formative for the rest of your years and for generations to come. Yeah, it's a lot. It just has such a lasting impact. And, you know, I, I mean, I remember growing up thinking, okay, if I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, my mom has showed me what that looks like. 
you read your Bible. That's what Christians do. And not just like a legalistic, well, that's what we do because we're Christians. But I think as Jen Wilkins said in her book, um, Women of the Word, the heart cannot love what the mind does not know. And so if we want to really love the Lord and we claim to, we have to know him. And so as Christians, we have to figure out how to build our lives around knowing him. And I think that does look different in some of these kinds of, you know, seasons like parenting little kids or, um, you know, my mom went through a season of caring for my grandmother with Alzheimer's and at that, you know, that was like caring for an infant all over again. And some of those things that I did as a mom of toddlers or babies is what she was doing, caring for her mother. So I think that applies, you know, later in life as well. Mm -hmm. Well, um, this kind of relates to our next little discussion here in terms of going through seasons of life. And so you talk a lot in your book of everyday faithfulness about the struggles that you've had. And Tabitha and myself have both experienced the deep grief and pain associated with infertility and pregnancy loss, Mm -hmm. as have so many other women, more than you would ever imagine. It's crazy. Once it happens to you, all these other women start telling you what happened to them. But when it seems like things aren't turning out how you envisioned them, or your life isn't going how you wanted it to go, it's so easy to turn away from Christ. Mm. And then when the thing you have been dying to does happen, it's easy to give into fear, fear that it's not going to last, fear that it's not going to be how you expected, and fear that you can't handle it. So how does your book tackle this? Yeah. So I really wanted to address like some of those things that I have experienced, whether through, you know, infertility and I sit here, you know, I have two kids, they're both adopted. I mean, I would say I'm still dealing with infertility though. I am a mother and my children are just, I wouldn't trade them for a a dozen biological kids. They are the gifts that the Lord knew that I needed. Um, but I still deal with some of the pain from infertility. And, um, I, I really wanted to, look at things like waiting. I'm thinking of some of my friends who are single and don't want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking of, you know, friends who I have a good friend right now who's been battling cancer for the last year. And, you know, she's just waiting to be well, you know, and just, you're thinking I'm sort of sitting in a holding pattern. So what do I do with my relationship with Christ when I'm just kind of waiting for him to do something for me? Um, so I also in the book tackle suffering as well, because I think those things can really go hand in hand. Sometimes our waiting, like my friend with cancer is a form of suffering. And mm-hmm. I, I think even um, just living with deferred hopes in general is a form of suffering. I think as Elizabeth Elliot said uh, in her book, suffering is never for nothing. She defines suffering really simple, um, simply like uh, it's wanting what you cannot have and not wanting what you have. So something like that, which I think just applies to so many things all the way across the board. Um, But the thing is, is when we look at something like waiting in scripture, it's never a shameful thing. Um, In fact, scripture, you know, will always talk about waiting on the Lord being a good thing and a good place to be and actually a blessing and a gift. And I think that when, when we have like a desire that's a good desire, like whether that's children or marriage or maybe just financial stability, maybe we've been walking through financial hardship or, or something, um, or health when you've had an illness, waiting for those things are not bad things, but sometimes we can look at the world around us and see people who have what we desire and we kind of are embarrassed by our lack. And we think, 
maybe I've done something wrong. Maybe this is God punishing me for something. And that's when I, I really wanted to address in everyday faithfulness that if you are in Christ, there is no more punishment for your sin. Jesus drank all of that down at the cross. And so if you walk through suffering, um, it, it is not because God is punishing you because that's anti-gospel. The gospel says that Jesus paid for our sin in full once and for all at the cross. And so if we have trusted him um, to pay for our sins, then the suffering we walk through is not punishment, but it is opportunity for us to know the Lord more deeply, to learn to praise him, and to also see that in this life, blessing and suffering are not opposites. In fact, I would say they're often two sides of the same coin. Mm -hmm. And so when you look at the New Testament writers, you see that suffering and waiting and things like that are guaranteed for Christians. Um, we are not living our best life now. We have our best life to come with Jesus forever in heaven, but now we are guaranteed to suffer. And so what do we do with that? Um, how do we maintain faithfulness to the Lord when life is really hard and our hearts are really yearning? And I think the answer is, is really the same as what I would say in any other season. It is keep holding fast to the means that God has given you to hold fast. So it is holding fast to, to praying. It is holding fast to the scriptures, holding fast to life in the church, because you are unlikely to find contentment in Christ away from Christ. Mm -hmm. You're not going to um, find satisfaction in him, even when life is hard, if you are not continuing to stay attached to him. Um, so I would say that though you hurt, though you long, though you grieve, um, the, the truths about God's character, about his faithfulness, his love for you, those things are still true. They are not changed by our circumstances, but I think rather God allows our circumstances to help us maybe even see a little more clearly the things that are true about him. Mm -hmm. And so I would say, if you are waiting for something and you are praying and longing, um, like keep looking to the Lord. Don't turn away from him and expect to find that contentment that you're looking for. Um, because he can give you your heart's desires. And if you are not satisfied in him, your heart will just continue to hunger and yearn because we were created to worship him and be satisfied by him first and foremost. So he may give us every physical blessing on earth that we pray for, but if our hearts are not rooted in contentment in him, we'll still yearn and hurt mm -hmm. and look and long. And so Though it is hard to hold fast in suffering, that's when we really learn perseverance. We don't learn it when life is easy. We learn it when it's hard. And James talks about, um, in, chapter, in James 1, he talks about um, when you face uh, trials of many kinds, um, count it joy and let steadfastness finish its work. That is when we learn steadfastness and faithfulness is by holding fast when everything else around us tells us not to. And I really think that's a, a pretty normal picture of the Christian life. That is what Jesus did. You know, he, he was obedient to death on a cross. He persevered when anyone else would have quit, you know, suffering in our place. And so he gives us the perfect example and he enables us to hold fast. Yeah, absolutely. You know, speaking of perseverance, I think a lot of times when we're in the middle of that suffering or hardship, or when we're at our lowest point, it's easy to just get caught up in our feelings and say, 
okay, I'm, I'm going to take care of this or I got it um, and try to do things herself. Can you explain why that that mentality is is wrong and how we should approach it instead? Yeah, so I um, I actually address in the book, I address the story of Abraham and Sarah um, as good examples of how not to wait. <laughs> um, God had made a promise to them that they would have a, a, a child, that Abraham would be the father of many nations. And we know that promise in Genesis 12 was really pointing to the coming of Christ, who would be a blessing to all people and who um, we would be as Christians, part of Abraham's family through faith in Jesus. But at the time, you know, Abraham gets this promise and he's already old. His wife is old and years go by and there's still no child. And so they kind of stitch together a plan. Well, Sarah does. And I'm going to send my maiden to you. You're going to have a kid through her. There we go. That's, this was the answer to the question, but this is not this was not God's means to give them the child. And though Abraham did have a child with uh, Sarah's servant, that was not the child that God had promised. And in fact, they waited more years until he sent um, their son, Isaac. And that was the child that he was promised. And I think that story is so interesting because I really do see Sarah as saying, I'm going to fix this. Mm -hmm. Like, I know God's made a promise. He's not coming through. So I'm going to take care of this, which as a female, I really get that. Like, I'm going to fix this problem. Um, let me see what I can do. I'm going to multitask here. And so um, I think that for her, there was probably a lot of shame in not being able to produce the child that she thought was promised or knew was coming or maybe doubted God's promise. And we know she laughed about the promise that was made. Um, and so I, I think that what Sarah should have done, obviously, was just wait on the Lord it's hard. It is hard to just wait on the Lord because you think, okay, I'm just going to sit here and wait on, sit on my hands and not do anything. Is that faithfulness? I think waiting on the Lord means coming to him with your request. I mean, casting your anxieties on him, being honest about where your heart is, confessing sin of bitterness or doubt or whatever it is, and then daily entrusting yourself to him again and again. And then as you are waiting, like living your life for him in the way that he has given it to you now. So maybe if you're single and you long to be married, I'm praying about that and having other people pray with you and for you, but not maybe living your life frantically on edge, trying to make this happen. Um, I think it means the life that God has given me now is a life of singleness. He knows my heart on this. I'm going to continue to pray and have people intercede for me, but I'm also going to look around at the life the Lord has given me and I'm going to be faithful with the job that I have and the people that I have and the relationships that he's given me. And, and I'm going to wait patiently rather than frantically. And I think the heart's posture there is really what matters when it comes to waiting. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> so obviously a part of this is getting into God's word every day. Mm -hmm. Um, do you have any recommendations for Bible studies or devotionals for daily use? Yeah. So I always say that if you don't have a regular habit of Bible reading, one of those plans that takes you through the Bible in a year or two years, like one of those daily reading plans is helpful for accountability sake, because, you know, it takes a month or two to form a habit really, if we're doing anything in life. And so those plans are good because you have a certain number of days of the week. Usually they're five days a week um, in each plan. So you have like the weekend to catch up if you miss a day or two. And you'll get through the whole counsel of God in a set amount of time. 
there's one that Crossway puts out. I think it's the Robert Murray McShane reading plan where there's no, it doesn't start on January 1st. It's just day one. And so day one is today or tomorrow. You know, you don't have to wait till January. And then I also always like to encourage people the best time, especially if you're going to consider maybe getting up in the morning to do your Bible study. Cause for a lot of people that makes the most sense. Cause then their day just gets away from them after that. Um, but if you're going to do a morning reading plan, that daylight savings time, like when we set our clocks in the fall and we like fall back, I don't know, this is where math gets confusing for me, but yeah. we actually, your body is acclimated to getting up earlier after that. And so that first day you're going to wake up earlier anyway. So it's a great time to begin a Bible reading plan is when the time changes in the fall. So just a little practical tip there. So don't in the wait next till, couple weeks. Yes, really soon. So don't <laughs> wait till January 1st, wait till you set your clock back. It's a good time to start. Um, so those uh, year-long plans are great. There are even some that will just take you through the New Testament in six months or something like that. And then you just, you know, you're just reading every day. And I mean, I think we have to remember, this is the inerrant word of the Lord. This is not just a novel that you pick up off the library shelf. You know, like these are the words of the Lord. In Deuteronomy, it is called no empty word, but our very life. And so, you know, don't underestimate the power of reading the scriptures every single day, even if it's just a, you know, a chapter a day or something like that. Um, another thing I recommend is doing sort of like an inductive type of study. Um, I actually just started a job with the Daily Grace Co. Um, writing for them, and they put out Bible studies that are inductive in the way that they're done. You do reading, you answer kind of contextual questions and things like that, and then you're gonna to move to application at the end. Um, those are great because they're, they're not too difficult for a beginner, and um, you can kind of get to the end of one of those studies and sort of reproduce the steps on your own. Um, and then I have a method in Everyday Faithfulness that I have sketched out. There's even some symbols for you to use. And this is the method I use the, the most. And I do it with a Bible study group every week. Um, we just walk through books of the Bible. And uh, right now we're doing Hebrews. We've been in Hebrews for six months. Uh, we spend the first couple of weeks just reading the book over and over again, just for repetition to kind of get our heads around what is this book about. Um, if we all have study Bibles, so we read the, the background and the context at the beginning uh, of our study time, and that's really important. You want to know who wrote it, who were they writing to, what was the setting, why were they writing, what's the purpose of this book, because um, those things really, really matter. And then we just read like a half a chapter a week, and we ask the same questions every week. We make a summary statement about the text, like just paraphrase it. What was this text about? Then we answer four questions. What uh, does this teach me about God? What does this teach me about man? How does this point me to Christ? And how do I apply this to my life? And then we close it out with one more summary statement, um, which forces you to really articulate the text. And the reason that we do that is we don't just read the Bible for ourselves. We read it to encourage other believers and to share the gospel with unbelievers. And so when you are summarizing the text, and it is so hard to do the first few times you do it, um, but when you're just putting what you studied for the week into a succinct two, two or three sentence statement, you will find that it rolls off your tongue all the time in all your conversations. So whether you're, you know, talking with someone at church, like this is what I'm studying this week, you already, you can articulate it really quickly. If you're talking with your neighbor who's not a believer in Jesus, it can come up in conversation. You're really equipping yourself to speak about what you've studied because 
you know, we study to know God, but we also study to make him known to those around us. Mm -hmm. And so I have those steps in the book, uh, really simple to follow. I've tested them on teenagers and on adults and uh, they're pretty easy to reproduce. So then that's what I personally do most of the time. Yeah. I love that. Those very practical and easy things yeah. to just implement into your daily life. Mm-hmm. And I really loved reading your book, Everyday Faithfulness. I was just telling Tabitha yesterday when we were on a work call that I was feeling like I'd been in a really bad dry spell, mm. but I didn't know where to pick back up. So your book brought me a lot of encouragement. I appreciate it. Oh, that. good. I'm so glad. Yeah. So where can our listeners go to stay up to date on your projects and on your writing? Yeah, so you can just go to my website, which is glennamarshall.com. I blog about once a week or so, and then I'm on all social media. I'm on um, Twitter and Instagram as Glenna D. Marshall, and then Facebook as Glenna Marshall. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Glenna, for taking time and discussing with us. Um, For those listening to our episode, please be sure to subscribe, share with your friends, and leave us a review. You can find us on all the major social media outlets and at engagewitheagleforum.com. From your house, to the state house, to the White House, this is Engage with Eagle Forum.